John chapter 1 and verses 43 through 49. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip and saith unto him, Follow me. Now Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him, saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. I want to talk to you about the disciple Nathaniel. Nathaniel is the disciple's first name, and that's what he's called in the Gospel of John only. The other Gospels list him under his last name, which is Bartholomew. So you might have thought that Nathaniel and, and Bartholomew, or some people call him Nate and Bart, you might have always thought that these are two separate people, but they're actually the same person. So his name is Nathaniel Bartholomew. In, in fact, outside of, has, of having his name in the list, the generic list that each of the Gospels mentions with the 12 disciples' names, um, Nathaniel is only mentioned in any detail beyond a list in John. He's mentioned in John chapter 21, but there's no detail. It's, he's just part of a scene. So, so, so the only insight we really get to his character and his personality and to his situation, the, apparently the only thing that, that, that the Holy Spirit wanted us today to glean about Nathaniel is found right here in John chapter 1. And it happened to be the details surrounding his conversion. So that's what we're going to study tonight. The day that Nathaniel got saved. I have dug into this and kind of found four practical aspects of his conversion in particular, some of which I think will apply to anybody who, who might be in here tonight and doesn't know Jesus as your personal Savior. And all four that I think will also apply to those of us who are already saved. Let's start in verse 47. So we won't necessarily take the verses in order. We're just going to take the, the principles in order that I think they should go in logically, at least in my mind. Look at verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Here's the first thing I want you to notice. Nathanael was a good person, but still needed to get saved. When Jesus said that in Nathanael was no guile, you know what he meant? He was saying that in Nathanael was no deceit. In other words, he was sincere. He had a pure heart. He was a good guy. That's, that's pr proven further uh, with how Philip described Jesus to Nathanael. Look at verse 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of of Joseph. So Philip knew that Nathanael would be intrigued by the news that he had found the one prophesied by Moses and, and the prophets in Scripture. And here's why. Because Nathanael knew the Scripture. He studied the Scripture. He was waiting with a pure heart, a sincere heart, a seeking heart, without guile. He was waiting on the prophecies of the coming Messiah to come true. So, so here's Nathanael, a man who knew the Bible, a man who was religious in nature, a man who was a good guy and described by Jesus as a sincere, honest 
man, yet he wasn't saved yet. He wasn't saved because he hadn't put his faith in Jesus as the son of God. He knew about Jesus, but he didn't really know Jesus yet. You know, I found that sometimes the, the people that struggle most to see their own need of salvation are good people. People who are sincere, people who know the Bible, people who go to church, people who were raised in church, uh, people who are benevolent, kind hearted, got baptized at a young age. And, and the reason they struggle is because their righteousness of heart, their sincerity of heart blinds them from seeing the depravity of their own soul. Blinds them from, from seeing the condition of their sinful heart. But the Bible says this, no matter how good you are, there is none righteous, no, not one. And those that might be somewhat righteous in the world's eye, the Bible says that compared to God's righteousness, their righteousness is but filthy rags. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I often said in my personal evangelism, one of the most difficult things about seeing somebody saved that I'm witnessing to is getting them to see that they're lost first. Isn't that difficult sometimes? That, that people are just blinded to the, to the depravity of their own soul because they know about God. And because they have a history with church or whatever the case might be. I'm just going to tell you again, I'm not going to take for granted tonight that everyone in this congregation, in this room is saved just because you're at church right now. Do you know there have been many times when somebody who was lost sat in a seat on a Wednesday night church service? Many heard the gospel clearly for the first time because on a Wednesday night they came to Fellowship Baptist Church. So if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ and Christ alone to save you, as kindly as I can tell you, you're lost. Even if you're sincere, even if you're a good person, even if you know a little bit about the Bible or have some church in your past, if you've never trusted in Jesus and Jesus alone to be your Savior, you're not saved tonight, but Jesus wants to save you. Hey, when it comes to salvation, being good is not good enough. And to those who are saved in here tonight, we should never take for granted that somebody is saved just because they're a good person. Philip, he knew Nathaniel's sincerity and love for the Bible more than anyone did, but he still brought him to Jesus to be saved. Look at verse 43. The day following, Jesus would go forth unto Galilee and find a Philip and saith unto follow me, now, Philip was a Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Watch what Philip did. After he got saved, Philip findeth Nathaniel. Here's the second point. Nathaniel was brought to Jesus by a friend so he could get saved. Nathaniel was a good person, but he still needed to get saved. But he was brought by a friend to Jesus so he could get, brought to Jesus by a friend so he could get saved. You know what Philip is? He's what I call a bringer. And here's the truth. Most people in here tonight who are saved, you're saved because of a friend that was a bringer. Now, seriously, most often our testimonies go something like this. When so-and-so invited me to church, they start like this. When so-and-so asked me to come to the ladies' activity, when so-and-so invited me to VBS, when so-and-so brought me to Easter Sunday, when so-and-so picked me up on a bus, when so-and-so paid my way to go to youth camp, most people are saved because a friend brought them to hear about Jesus. That friend could have been a parent, a grandparent, a Sunday school teacher, a bus worker, a co-worker, a family member, whatever the case might be. I love this point, church, because it takes the pressure off of us. See, we, we don't have to know how to answer every question. 
We don't have to know how to lead someone to Christ perfectly. We don't have to even have the Romans road memorized. We just need to first start by being a bringer. We need to be good at what Philip was good at. What was he good at? Simply telling people this, come and see. Just come and see. I think a lot of times we're mistaken when it comes to personal evangelism and success in personal evangelism. I think we, we really believe that we're successful when the person we're witnessing to gets saved. But that's not true. You know when we're successful in personal evangelism? When the person we're witnessing to hears about Jesus. You can do nothing to save anybody. That's up to the person, the Holy Spirit, and God, and the person cooperating with God and the Holy Spirit. The only thing you can do is bring them. Only thing you can do is introduce them to Jesus. And so don't think that if somebody you brought to Easter or somebody that you invited, don't, don't think that, that you're short of success just because they came and didn't get saved. That's a success for you. That's a win for you. You brought them to Jesus and, and let God take care. We talked about that last Sunday. Let God bring the harvest. And it's interesting to share his faith first with his friend. You understand that's where we ought to start in evangelic, evangelistic efforts? We, we, we ought to start with those closest to us, those in our immediate circle of influence. And here's why. Because a trusted friendship paves the way for effective evangelism. Get that, please. Quite frankly, that's why we don't go and knock on doors anymore. It's just not effective evangelism. It's not. You know what effective evangelism is? When you befriend a lost person, you connect your life to them without being conformed by them. And, and they trust you and you love on them right where they're at. And when they need a friend, you're there. When they need a prayer, uh, someone to pray for them, you're there. You build their trust to where you can invite them to church every big day or every, every Sunday. This is where effective evangelism takes place when you've built trust with somebody. In fact, last night is a perfect example of this. Um, on Easter Sunday, Marlon and Dorothy Meisenheimer brought Dr. Fitzgerald's wife, Tess, uh, with them to Easter Sunday. Uh, of course, Dr. Fitzgerald passed away about seven months ago. And, and so Tess's heart is pretty soft still. And, and, and she came to church on Easter Sunday. If you remember the message I preached on death, it hit her pretty hard on Sunday. And she started having some questions. Marlon has taken care of her, her and Dr. Fitzgerald's yard for years, right there on Clay and 10th Street. And, and um, so they had this relationship, this friendship. Marlon and Dorothy um, built a lot of trust with her whenever Dr. Fitzgerald died. They sat with her and, and they worked her, walked her through some of those hard decisions and things like that. Marlon was really there for her. Dorothy was really there for her. So, so whenever they invited her on Easter Sunday, she's like, yeah, that's the least I can do for you. And she came and heard that message, began to ask questions. Jenny and I, um, two weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago, we uh, just took some flowers over to her and thanked her for coming and asked her, hey, you know, we, we probably talked 30 minutes or so and, and just kind of heard her story a little bit and, and, and prayed with her. And she's pretty sobby just because she's still very, very sensitive to being alone and all of that. And, and we said, hey, can we come back and, and share just a little Bible study with you? And I, I kind of have this 
one page thing that, that we do with folks that, that aren't saved or, or might not be saved. And so we, we schedule that with her last night, go over there and we walk through that. And Jenny's sitting by her and showing her the verses as I'm speaking on the other side of the room. And it's just amazing. The Holy Spirit moves in and starts working and, and, and tears begin to flow down her face. And we, we say, do you want, you want us to come back, give you time to think about this? Or, or do, you, do you feel like you need to get saved? She says, I need to get saved right now. And right there in her living room, Tess Fitzgerald called upon the name of the Lord to save her soul last night. She's one day old in Christ today. And she's 59 years old in real life, but she's one day old in Christ. And you understand that, that we were able to share Christ with her because there was first some friends that brought her to Jesus. There was a Philip. I, I don't know if, if, if every one of you really grasped this but you are much more effective at bringing people to Jesus than I could ever be. It's the people you work with that I could never have that rapport. It's, it's, the, it's the people that, that, that you hang out with. It's, it's these people that, that, that your son or your daughter plays sports with. It's those people that if you will just be a Philip and say, come and see, come and see. And then let like an Easter message just kind of saturate their heart a little bit and then water it with prayer. And you keep being their friend. Just watch. God will bring that increase. But someone's got to bring them. And so here's my challenge to you. Connect your life with somebody that doesn't go to your church. Be their friend. Well, I don't know about that. Well, then you take it up with Jesus. Because in Luke 15, he gave three stories about a bunch of hypocrites that were fired up that he was eating with publicans and sinners. So just go read Luke 15. It'll be good, good dose of medicine for you. But hear me, if, if your life is just filled with people just like you, who, who you sing and choir with, who you go to church with, I, that ought to be your inner circle. Don't get me wrong. But there's got to be someone you're connected to outside of your saved family members and saved church that you're working on a relationship with. Build trust with them, not to manipulate them to believe, but so that, 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 that when something comes up, you're the person they'll go to. When they need a prayer request, they know who to call. You've invited them to church seven, eight, nine times, so they know what church you go to. That kind of relationship, I hope all y'all have that. Let, let's, let's talk about number three. Look at verse 46. And Nathaniel said unto him, he's talking to Philip, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Point number three, Nathaniel's prejudice almost kept him from getting saved. So Nathaniel was a good guy, but he still needed to get saved. Nathaniel had a friend that brought him to Jesus so he could get saved. But the guy was prejudiced and it almost kept him from getting saved. Nathaniel was from Cana. That, that's the place where Jesus turned water into wine. And apparently those from Cana had some kind of civic rivalry with those from Nazareth. Um, kind of like us in Garden City. That's why we're sending Mike to go reach those sinners in Garden City. Or us in Dodge City even. Um, economically speaking, Nazareth was a rough town if you study it. Its culture was unrefined. Its people were, were, were uneducated. It was a place that was corrupt. And really it was just popular with some pretty sinful people. They say that the Judeans looked down on all Galileans. But even the Galileans looked down on the Nazarenes. I mean, they were the bottom shelf. It was just a place and people that, that frankly weren't, weren't 
respected by those in the entire region. So it was inconceivable to Nathaniel that the Messiah that he had read about in Old Testament scripture, that the Messiah, the son of God would come out of a tacky place like Nazareth. He had a prejudice. You know what a prejudice is? It is a preconceived idea that is rooted in ignorance. It is a certain conclusion or assumption that we make without having all the facts. You ever been prejudiced? You should be going just like this. Somebody's put it this way. Prejudice is being down on what you're not up on. There are some people that are prejudiced against Jesus because of something they heard or saw in the life of some so-called Christian. They made an assumption of all Christianity based on one person. Prejudice. There are some people that are prejudiced against Jesus because of something hurtful they experienced in one church they went to. So they won't go to any church because all churches are like this church. Prejudice. There are some people that are prejudiced against Jesus because of something tragic that happened in their life that frankly they think God caused or God allowed. There are some people that are prejudiced against Jesus or a certain church based on something they heard in the grapevine about that church. Now, I've heard that a few times about Fellowship Baptist. Now, God's given us a lot of favor in our community over the last couple of decades. Some would say amen about that. That's taken a lot of work. It's taken a lot of effort. It's taken a lot of adjustment. It's taken a lot of humility. It's taken a lot of common sense. And God has given us a lot of favor because we, we have loved on people the way God called us to love on people. But, but I just heard as recent as a couple of weeks ago, some comment about our church that was just like, it was just such a false stigma. Like it was so off. It's like, no, that, that's not how it is. Like it, it almost like I got defensive, honestly, I shouldn't have. Uh, it just is what it is. But I'm like, dude, let me talk to that person. I, I kind of wanted to defend it because this is such a great place, right? I'm completely biased, but um, the truth is, is that it could be a great place, but, but certain people um, might say something about fellowship based on, on, on just a limited amount of information, right? And that could be said of any church, by the way. That's not just our church, but, but our church has known that in a small community that, that, that we can have whatever stigma in some people's mind. By the way, that's prejudice, What's the cure for that kind of prejudice? How do we help somebody overcome this so, so they can be saved? We do what Philip did. Do you, did you see what he did? He said, just come and see. Come and see for yourself. I can remember Brother Landis had a theme. I think it was Brother Landis. It could have been my dad. But, but it was experience it for yourself. How many old timers remember, remember that? You just admitted you're old. Very, very good. Good, good honesty. Well, I'm old too because I remember the turquoise and purple pins. And so Fellowship Baptist Church, experience it for yourself. I think Brother Landis had a desire to say, quit talking about us and just come check us out. He was being a Philip. Personal experience is the cure for prejudice. If you have a preconceived idea about something, you should always wait to become sure of that idea until you've given yourself a fair chance to investigate it for yourself. That's just a good rule in life. I mean, if and when you're dealing with somebody who's lost, but, but they have a bunch of preconceived ideas about God, about Christians, about our church in specific, about the Bible, listen, you don't need to argue with them. 
You don't need to get defensive and say, I won't hear that about my church. Just say, come and check it out. That's it. Three words. Come and see. Come and see. If you really believe that that's untrue about your church, there's no need for you to stand on a pedestal and start defending it. Just simply say, come and see. Be that secure. Be that, be, be, be that firm in what you believe about your church or your God or your Bible and just say, just come and check it out. I've been amazed by how many people have had preconceived ideas about our church, but after coming for even one time, all those ideas are proven to be completely false. I'm not saying we're a perfect church. I know our faults more than you do. But, but, but listen, any church, uh, if, if you'll just go see it for yourself, a lot of those prejudices will go away. Um, here's the great thing about, about this. When Philip said, come and see, and Nathaniel came and saw, he had questions. He had, he had some doubts, some skepticism, but he was met with grace. He was met with mercy. He was met with patience. Have you ever met a leader or a person in authority who, when they were questioned about anything, instantly bucked up? Like, like took it personally as though you were insulting their character or questioning their authority? And it's like, dude, I just asked a question. Well, Jesus wasn't that kind of guy. When Nathaniel came to him and he was a skeptic, Jesus went the distance to convince Nathaniel that he is truly the Son of God. I love that about Jesus. I love that. Jesus could have just bucked up and said, dude, you've read the Old Testament prophets and you've read Moses and you should know better. Quit questioning me. But he didn't. He wasn't insecure. Look what he did in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and saith of him, saith of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile, Nathanael saith unto him, whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, before the Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Now, when he, I want you to see what Jesus is doing here. Mike just told me, brother Mike just told me, he's like, I told him I was preaching on Nathaniel. He's like, have you seen the chosen episode with Nathaniel? And I've never seen, have you, how many have seen it? You seen chosen? I, I can't get into it yet. So you need to pray for me. It's just, it's, it's just a little dramatic for me. Um, but uh, I'm trying to get into it. I'm trying to soften my heart to the idea. It's a good, it's a good cause, I guess. Um, so I'm trying. But Mike told me how they depict this. And I'm going to go watch it tonight um, and, and see if, because it sounds really awesome how uh, they, they kind of use their imagination to, to kind of put us into the story of how this might have happened. But, but Jesus knows that Nathaniel's struggling to believe. He knows Nathaniel's preconceived ideas. He knows Nathaniel's struggling to believe that that he being from Nazareth could actually be the very son of God that he's read about. So Jesus meets him right where he is. I just, I love this. He starts by telling Nathaniel, hey, I know who you are, man. I know your nationality. You're an Israelite. I know your heart. You're sincere. You've been seeking after me in the scripture for a long time. You're just having a hard time believing I'm the guy you've read about. And that's where Nathaniel asks, dude, how do you know that? How do you know I'm an Israelite? How do you know I'm a good man? And Jesus went another step to prove his deity. And, and he told him exactly where he was sitting before Philip came and found him to tell him about the Messiah. He said, man, you're sitting under a fig tree before Philip got to you. And Jesus was right. In the Bible day, the houses weren't air conditioned. 
Um, So most households had a fig tree planted outside of the house that, that would provide a shaded area to rest during the day. It was almost like their air conditioner. And they would read and rest, nap, and, and just relax under there. And that's where Nathaniel was sitting when Philip found him. Jesus wasn't there, but Jesus was God. He knew. And that's when it dawned on Nathaniel that he was standing in the presence of someone that was omniscient. Someone that was divine. Look at his response in verse 49. Nathanael answered and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. That's his salvation prayer. That's him calling upon the Lord as his personal Savior right there. That's him acknowledging, you are God. I believe in my heart. I confess with my mouth. And he got saved in that very moment. Here's what I want you to grab from this. Jesus will always meet the sinner right where they are. And he will go the distance to convince them that he is God. It makes me think of a man by the name of Lee Strobel. You heard of Lee Strobel? He had a broken relationship with his father that caused him to be a very, very cynical towards God. So much so he became a stubborn, outspoken, brilliant, but stubborn and outspoken atheist. He grew up and married a woman by the name of Leslie. I'll spare you all the details, but eventually Leslie got saved. And at first, Lee wanted to divorce her. He couldn't stand the fact that his wife placed her faith in what she called God. But as he began to see the changes in, her, in, her, in his wife's life, he got real curious. But he wouldn't believe for himself without data to prove that Jesus is indeed the son of God. So he began his own two-year-long investigation. It's amazing. He investigated science, medicine, the Bible, artifacts, and much more. He studied as in-depth as anybody's ever studied before the four Gospels for himself. And he used like forensic science techniques to do it. And he came to the conclusion that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. Today, Lee is saved. He's written a best-selling book, a story called The The Case for Christ. And it's been used all over the world. Here's what happened. God was patient with him. And he met a skeptic right where he was. And just journeyed with him through his own investigation. Someone might be skeptical of the Bible. Actually being the word of God. Have you ever talked to somebody that, that might just believe this is another book? They have a hard time believing what's so special about this book. Do you understand that God has done amazing things to prove that this book is not just another book? He has went the distance. I'll give you one example, and that's Old Testament messianic prophecies that he gave that were all fulfilled at Jesus' birth. I wrote him down. I want you to see him on the screen. This is amazing. It gets complicated, so I want you to see it with your eyes. Put that first one up there. God had predicted which race the Messiah would come from, the human race, the seed of the woman. Then God went on and prophesied what division of that race the Messiah would come from. He'd be a descendant of Seth. And then God went on and prophesied what nation of that division of that race the Messiah would come from, the Jewish nation, a descendant of Abraham. Then the Lord went on and prophesied what tribe of that nation, of that division, of that race that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Then God went on and prophesied what family of that tribe, of that nation, of that division, of that race, the Messiah would come from. The family of David. 
Then God went on and prophesied what person of that family, of that tribe, of that race, of that division, of that race, the Messiah would come from, the virgin. He even prophesied what place the Messiah would be born, Bethlehem, Ephrathah. Is that not impressive? He didn't have to include all that. I'm convinced with all my heart that outside of those, of those prophecies being for Old Testament believers so they would have a God to place their faith in and look ahead to, I'm convinced that God made those prophecies in the canon of Scripture to prove that this is not any other book. It's not. This is the holy, inspired word of God. What does that that tell us? God goes the distance. He goes the distance to prove that he is God. And by the way, some of you probably have a story where you didn't get saved the very first time you heard the gospel. God was patient with you. God met you right where you were. And God graciously intervened and went the distance to convince you that you were lost and needed a Savior. Thank God for His grace. I hope that, 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 man, I got to think about this this morning, that there are some people that God wants to, to, to convince about Himself through us. See, they've got all this prejudice and this skepticism because all they know of church people are hypocrites. All they know are two-faced people. All they know are churches that are cliquish. That's all they know of the church. And so they got this prejudice that they formed in their mind. And God might want to use you with a pure heart, not obnoxious, not annoying, not two-faced. Not one way at church, another way when you're with your friends that don't go to church. But you have a pure heart and a clean mind and a sincere spirit and you're kind to them and you're a hard worker and you're not perfect, but you're authentic. God might want to use your authenticity in the workplace to be the thing that convinces them that your God is a real God. So you better mind your testimony. You better be real careful. I mean super careful about your words, about your business ethics, about your reactions. I mean super careful because God might be using you as the single tool to convince a skeptic that God is real. Every Nathaniel has a Philip. Everyone does. And here's the truth tonight. There's a lot of you in here that are both. You're Nathaniel. You've been saved. Jesus met you where you were. Hallelujah for that. You might have been good, but you needed to be saved anyway. You might have been prejudiced and almost kept you from being saved, but God went the distance to convince you that you needed to be saved. Some of you might be saved. Some of you might not be saved. I'm going to have an invitation in just a moment to invite you to come forward. I'll meet you right down here. You can get saved. And, and then some of you might be a Philip. There might be a Nathaniel you work with, a Nathaniel that's in your connection group, a Nathaniel that, that, that you pass by in, on, in a board or uh, that you serve on in the community somewhere. Whatever the case might be, there might be a Nathaniel and you are God's tool to bring them to Jesus. Never, ever live a day of your life not realizing that you are the hands and feet of Jesus to a lost world. Do not get so caught up with your paperwork that you forget you're called the people work. And God wants to use your workplace as a mission field, your interactions as a mission field, 
because you are a Philip. Amen?